So, I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever we talk about youth group and intermediates, and even the young adults, we tend to always use the term next generation. And whenever we, whenever we talk about the older generations, we use the term experienced or traditional. This morning, I would like to rephrase that wording and talk about the now generation, the people we are living among today. Because the youth group and the intermediates are as much a part of the church now as we will be in the future. And the older generations are not past their use-by date, even if things look a little different today than they did back then. (laughs) Although sometimes Gen Zs and millennials are too stubborn to admit the good things that boomers have done, and Generation X are apprehensive to try things suggested by those younger, I know that God has called all of us to learn from such a time as this. So, we know that we are living in a generation of believers of all different ages and stages, and we know that sometimes that can be tricky to navigate. What now, you ask? The answer, discipleship. To be a disciple means to be a follower of a teacher. Therefore, it means to be a learner. No one knows everything, and everyone is always in need of being connected to a greater pool of knowledge, including myself. A few months ago, I was talking to someone in our church on Facebook. They suggested that I start thinking about next steps with service and leadership, and I responded, I'm 18, what do I have to contribute? They replied almost instantly with, read those words you just typed, then read 1 Timothy 4.12, then get back to me. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. You can imagine the conviction, right? Here I was, usually a pretty confident and give it my all type of person, letting the world's standards decide what I can and cannot contribute, instead of honoring this call right here. Not a friendly piece of advice, but a call. I learnt in this moment the value of letting other people speak wisdom into the spaces you lack it. For me, this was an example of being discipled as the need for a teacher helped me to shift my thinking from an unhealthy lens to a healthy one. In this room this morning, we have people on the upper ends of receiving a letter from the Queen, right down to the kids at Royal Kids who are still learning how to spell their names. Every single one of us was placed here for a reason, to learn from and teach one another as we lead each other towards Jesus. You'll see behind me some pictures of me in various stages of my life (laughs) from a newborn. Um, I don't know which one I am because I'm a twin, so one of those kids up there is me. Um, To my first, which one am I? Oh, there we go, the cute one. Um, to my first day of primary school at Waipahihi Primary in Lake Taupo. Um, me just a few weeks ago at 19 and just a loose guesstimate of what I'll look like in the future. <laughs> in each of these photos, I was placed where I was for a reason and mentored by those around me from one stage to another. You might be thinking, well, you're just a baby in one of those. What has that really got to do with anything? Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. This scripture makes it clear that there is learning in every season. For example, in year 10, I developed really bad anxiety. 
I don't share this to cry wolf, but to share that even as a 14-year-old, I had to learn how to deal with feelings that were too big for me. And I am still in a season of learning how to do that today. Just like right now, regardless of our ages as believers, we're here in this house of God to be disciples of Christ, to learn from one another, to take what we know as individuals and pass it to one another with the goal of helping each other grow closer to God. It is as simple as saying that, but I know that it is not always as simple to do it. Mark 8.34 says, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Being a disciple means learning how to die to what the world says. And what is it that we often hear the world saying? That we're too young or we're too old or that we're too ambitious or too idealistic. Being a disciple means learning how to die to what we say about ourselves, that I have nothing to contribute, that because we're young or because we're old, our voices don't matter as much as those up front. But scripture tells us what is true, that we can be examples to other believers in the way we live, in our love, in our faith, and in our purity. The truth is that we're all called to do something with that faith, We were reminded a couple of weeks ago in our James series that faith without deeds is dead. So when we die to what the world says, we must choose to live in what the word says. Galatians 5.16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Then in verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I'm just going to read that again. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is our call, to let the Spirit lead our lives. Not to live our lives with the Spirit as an add-on feature you can buy for $5, but to be disciples who seek God in all that we do, who prioritize faith over fear, but dive headfirst even when we are scared, forcing ourselves to trust each chapter because we know who the author is. The reason there are so many lukewarm and passionless Christians by the time they are my age is because they lack that meaningful transformation that comes from discipleship, from continual learning and teaching. As said in Mark, discipleship is denying our fleshly desires each and every single day and choosing to do it God's way allowing his spirit to empower us. It is journeying together through every uncomfortable moment, weird conflict and bad decision with people who share the same faith as you. Sometimes that will look like life groups or coffee dates or meeting with mentors. Whatever it is, we desperately need to start recognizing the value of learning from each other as a church family so that we can see the body of Christ as a body of growth, of non-complacency, and of transformation. For example, as Caleb mentioned, last year, a group of us, uh, now first year uni and year 13 students, began a small group. Um, He also stole my joke about our super unique name, discipleship. Um, But we meet on Sundays after church, most weeks, and we do life together. We eat food, drink gong cha, 
and we catch the boys falling asleep. It's hardly ever the same, sometimes messy, and often it's very vulnerable. And what it has made abundantly clear to me is that it is good and necessary to know of God, of course, but I believe in a church that will do more. Knowledge is the first step, action is the second. It scares me to say that because I am young, but I truly do see us as a church of disciples who rally the troops together, knowing deeply that we are not made to do this alone. If you've seen High School Musical, then you can sing it with me. We are all in this together. I won't sing, no. (laughs) We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. So, I want to ask you some questions now, and I want you to be honest with yourself. No one else knows the answers except you and God. Are you discipling others? Are you being discipled? Are you putting your faith to use? Are you serving? Are you in a life group or a small group? If not, what's your excuse? Why are you not making it a priority? I have hope. So, so much hope that the body of Christ can be a church of participants instead of pew sitters, a church of conversationalists instead of consumers, a church that breathes their every breath for God, never failing to remember that we do not deserve God, but he loves us anyway, that honors the sacrifice, respects the blood, and lives in obedience. This now generation, the collection of us here this morning, is not perfect. We all have so much learning to do, but I believe that we need to be fired up and that God has anointed us to be disciples for such a time as this. Kia ora. How good was that? That was so good. Um, Yeah, so just highlighted a few questions um, that we can now take time to reflect on. Um, Yeah, so what stood out to you in that message? Um, What do you need time to process? We'll give you guys like a minute to do that.
I hope you guys had some time to process um, before we have our next speaker up. Um, so, yes, again, we're going to have uh, yeah another bit about discipleship, but maybe just on a different take. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to invite up Maya to do that now. Thank you. Yeah, as Chloe said, I'm Maya. Um, I'm 19. Yeah, go to this church. You guys have probably seen me many times. <laughs> um, cool. So I'm going to start. Decisions are hard. And apparently so was saying decisions. <laughs> if you're anything like me, when it comes to making big decisions, it can be a bit daunting. While some decisions in our life can be very simple, like what foot to put my sock on first or how many wet books I should have this morning, although that one still gets me sometimes, others will be pretty complex. This is especially true when making decisions in relation to our faith. When I was freshly 17, about 200 years ago, I made the choice to follow Jesus for myself. That initial decision wasn't a hard one to make. I had fallen in love with Jesus. But what I had to realize is that being a disciple didn't just mean making one decision and all else will fall into place. It meant a daily lifestyle, dedicated to knowing Christ and making him known, which ultimately came with some costs. I want to look at the first disciples of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't ask them to make an intellectual or even an emotional decision. He asked them to simply give up their lives as they knew them in exchange for different lives with him. Jesus would transform them from fishermen to fishers of men. They surrendered everything to follow him. They didn't say, you know what, Jesus, I need to think about this for a bit. I should probably go home and analyze a pros and cons list and what this might do for my future. You know, my mum and dad are hoping that I would take over the fishing business and I'm pretty well off doing so at the moment, so give me, give me some time and I'll get back to you in three to five business days. And I should really pray about this. No, they just left. When they heard the invitation from Jesus, there was no discussion. They simply went. These young men gave up everything to follow him without even knowing him. For years they lived and journeyed intentionally with him, putting Jesus as their first priority. Why? Why would they leave their comfortable lives to follow Jesus? I know that if I was in their shoes, that decision would wreck my mind. But the good news is, God gives us grace. We don't deserve to walk with Jesus, but he invites us to do so anyway. The answer is, why not? Why wouldn't we follow him? They made the decision to follow Jesus then and there, but discipleship did not end with that initial choice to leave everything and follow him. In fact, that was just the first of many decisions, to surrender, to suffer, to trust, to obey, to love. This is discipleship. It humbles us that he has even invited us to follow him. Our boasting is not in our decision, but in, in his grace and mercy. This is the life of a disciple. This is the joy of a disciple. It is a privilege to even answer yes to Jesus. I want to remind us that he is calling us to follow him. Us, the Royal Oak Baptist Church community. Jess talked about the now generation, the body of Christ today. I understand that compared to many people here today, I have not lived a very long and experienced life. But what I know is this. As Christians, we choose each day to live out that initial decision we made to follow Christ. 
His call is to follow, to surrender, to trust, and to obey. And as Christians, we do this together. We keep each other accountable. We encourage. We love. Because this thing called discipleship isn't an easy task. Being a disciple of Jesus will cost you everything. You may stand out because you're going to be different. You're not going to look like, act like, or be like the rest of the world. Because you're not of this world. You are a follower of Jesus. The word disciple means to be a learner, a pupil, or a follower. And Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple and the cost of that in Luke 14, 25 to 35. One day, when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned to them and told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If, on, if you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Every, everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 of the other? And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Salt is excellent, but if salt goes flat, it's useless, good for nothing. And when I read this passage a few years back, I thought to myself, how can the same Jesus, the guy who teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves, turn around and instruct us to refuse our closest family members? How can he tell us to refuse our own selves? But what I had to realize is Jesus is making... He is contrasting our commitment to, to him in the strongest possible way. No earthly tie, however close, must take priority over our commitment and obedience to Jesus. He is number one by far, but this is the cost of discipleship. Jesus says to the crowd traveling with him, unless you place me as the first priority over every other priority in your life, you can't be my disciples. His words speak to you and me also. We cannot avoid or weasel out of their impact and force. Jesus tells us to take up our own cross and follow him. When Jesus took up his cross, he did so with great humility and obedience to his father. He put God's will and his love for us above himself to the point of death. Taking up our cross means putting aside our selfish desires and following God's will for our lives. It means, it means making constant decisions to put him first. It is said in Matthew that an expert in religious law asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians and followers of Jesus, we must place him as our first priority. Something that I found interesting was, as mentioned earlier in Matthew 4.19, Jesus' first words to his disciple Peter was, come, follow me. And in John 21:22, one of the last words and commands Jesus said to Peter was yet again, follow me. And that is Jesus' unchanging command to all of his disciples. We are to follow him. That is what being a disciple means. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't just a matter of attending a worship service every week. It's actively following him every day with all our hearts, souls, and mind. I think for, our, for all of us on our various stages of our journey with Christ, need to be reminded of the call to follow Jesus. 
We need to be reminded of the constant decisions we need to make to follow him. I read this quote, our Christian life began not with our decision to do so, but with God's call to us to do so. So, follow me. This is Jesus' call to his disciples. It always is. In peace or adversity, in comfort or in trial, in life or in death, the disciple is just to follow him. It is the first thing he called us to do, and it never changes. So, what are you to do today? In light, of your, in light of your particular situation or circumstances, Jesus' words to Peter are still his message for us today. Follow him. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, you call us to follow, to turn away from our selfish interests and to take up our cross and follow after you. Even when the path is unclear or this, the decision is a hard one to make, Lord, let your will be done. Lord, renew our hearts, souls, and minds, and let them seek you. You are the beginning and the end. Father, let us follow without fear, knowing that you are always with us. Lord, lead our way. In Jesus' name, amen.